Today we're going to be in 1 Samuel 10 in the Old Testament. And the last time we saw Samuel's first encounter with Saul, uh, Israel's soon-to-be first king, and tonight we're going to see uh, Saul's real, really a private coronation with Samuel and then his presentation to the children of Israel. So we're going to jump in. Verse 1, it says, Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on his head, meaning Saul's, and kissed him and said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? So again, we see this private coronation, and there were only three people there in the whole wide world. And we know that God placed Israel at really the center of the known world for a reason, to be a, an example to the rest of the pagan world. And the three most important people that were there were Saul, who was going to be the king, and Samuel, who was going to anoint him as king, and God, the one who made all of this possible. And that's it. And in that room, there were three, and uh, that's all there needed to be. Now, let's look at the significance of the oil. Well, we know that, number one, it's a point of contact. We covered this a few Sundays ago. Uh, we spoke about, in the New Testament, a point of contact. We see the laying of the hands, laying on of the hands, or the, the anointing of oil. Right? It's where the believer believes in God and God works, and it's kind of that nexus, that point of contact. The second thing we see, or we know in that society, that that oil was a necessary staple of that society, and it had multiple uses. And the spiritual parallel with the oil was that it was a picture of God's power. It was a picture of God's mandate. It was a picture of the Holy Spirit oftentimes. So we see the ceremony, we see the oil, we see the point of contact, and really, uh, Saul was empowered to do what God had called him to do. And we sometimes need a little boost now, don't we? We're going to see a few times in the scripture this confirmation, right? And, and, and Saul certainly goes through several events and, and, you know, pretty much events of this confirmation that the Lord was with him and he's anointed him. The second thing we see, aside from the oil, is the kissing. Uh, you know, Samuel kisses Saul. And he says, is this not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? The man, the true man or woman of God, will always put their weight behind the person that God anoints. I want to be shoulder to shoulder. I want to put my weight behind. I want to vocally support the man or the woman who the Lord anoints. Now, I want to warn you, it sounds, it starts off good, but as we'll see through the life of Saul, it becomes sort of a roller coaster ride. You know, he's, he's empowered, he, he's presented, and then he hides, and then he, um, you know, goes back out and, and wins these battles. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit, um, we have to have a little diligence to really follow his life and see where he's going. So, moving on to verse 2. It says, when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Remember, this was in the last chapter. And now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is worrying about you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. There, three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, and another carrying a skin of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive from their hands. 
After that, you shall come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. Notice that the Philistines are still a problem, right? There's a garrison there. And it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you, and you will prophesy with them and be turned into another man. And let it be, when these signs come to you, that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. You shall go down before me to Gilgal, and surely I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and make sacrifices of peace offerings. And seven days you shall wait till I come to you and show you what you should do. So Samuel makes three prophecies about the events that are going to happen in Saul's immediate future. Again, another confirmation. The first thing that we see is that Saul meets two men. Remember the report of his father's donkeys that got lost? Well, he gets confirmation, hey, the donkeys are okay. And you probably should get back home soon because now your father's concerned about you. So the first thing we see in this is God is concerned about our problems, no matter how small. It's like, what's a couple of donkeys in the coronation of Israel's king? Who cares? But God is concerned. So sometimes we maybe might not even go to prayer because we think, oh, this is so trivial. But the Lord loves us that much. My son's trivial problems are important to me as well. Two, Saul meets three men, and he comes away with two loaves of bread. And what this shows us is that God meets our physical needs. Right? We know that back in those days, you know, through the hilly country and the wilderness and all the different areas in Israel, even today, it was rough terrain. So he's sustained with these two loaves of bread. The third thing that, that happens is Saul meets a group of prophets. And then Saul all of a sudden starts prophesying himself. So the third thing that we see here is that it shows that God meets our spiritual needs, right? I like this, the, uh, the tambourine, the flute, the harp. So these guys were a traveling worship team. They had diverse instruments. It's kind of neat. So we notice a few things about this whirlwind day for Saul and what it means for us. Number one, there's incredible detail. As I'm reading verses 2 through 8, I'm like, boy, what detail that Samuel is giving Saul, and he, he might have tried to put it all in his head, and then he sees it unfold in perfect succession as Samuel dictates it to him. And the question is, was it all necessary? And I would say absolutely, because God knows so much about the present and the future, and he was giving all this information so that Saul could take advantage of it. And it shows us that God's truths can be trusted. They're trustworthy. The second thing we see is that there's an assurance that God is with Saul. We know in the scriptures, in Romans 8.31, if God is for us, who can be against us? And we know that the Bible is, uh, is filled with promises to those who follow the Lord, and many of them apply to us. So I guess my question is, what are we doing, right? If God is showing us something, are we being faithful to do what he's called us to do, right? Many resist what God is doing in their lives, Many are living for themselves, and they know that God has a plan for them. It's almost like a purposeful blinders. I know what God has called me to do, but, you know, I, I just want to do this first. Well, I'm not ready. We can trust God, whatever he has for us. In verse 9, it says, And so it was, when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, that God gave him another heart 
And all those signs came to pass that day. So the third thing we see is that it says that God changed his heart or turned him into another man. What does that mean? And if he changed his heart, if so, for how long? Because we see later that Paul or Saul, see, I knew I was going to do it. I'm saying Samuel, Saul, be careful not to say Paul because it's not that Saul. I did it. <laughs> That's okay. Just kind of raise your hand and I'll, I'll correct myself for the, for the CD. But what happens is we see Saul's apostasy later. He falls back. Now, and if he was turned into another man, why is he still told to obey? Because he still has choice. He still has free will. Now, if Saul's life, as we look at this, because we'll find that God empowers him. He gives him all the spiritual tools needed. He, um, there's amazing things that happen through Saul, and he still turns his back on the Lord, and the Spirit eventually still leaves him. So if Saul's life is not an example of man's free will and that we're free moral agents, I don't know what is. So it's a very interesting portion of Scripture. And this is really tough for the formula theologians, for those that say, well, this is the formula and this is always how it is, and kind of Saul's life turns that on its ear. Right? We need to be as babes when we approach God's word. Notwithstanding the controversy, the bottom line is that God gives Saul the equipment he needs to be the king of Israel. Now, understand this, that Saul's calling, God loves Saul, but his calling was far bigger than the man. And what this shows us is that spiritual leadership is far more important than us as individuals, and we need to take it seriously. Sometimes I, I'm blown away. You know, when I come up here on a Sunday and I open my, my eyes and there's all these people sitting here. And I'm like, wow, Lord, it's a humbling feeling. Now, some could take it and get run away with pride, but I think it's better if we stay humble. Because to realize is that whoever the leader is, whatever the situation, that Again, the calling is far bigger than the individual. It's about God's people. And if we blow it, God can remove us and use somebody else, as he's done many times. What we also notice is that there's uh, the offerings. We keep seeing the offerings in this portion of Scripture. And Saul needs to be reminded of how important his position is. And God changes Samuel's heart. Now, Again, this is something that I, I, I read it, I read some chapters, I see the back and forth, and I'm, I'm just really praying about what's going on here in the life of this man. But the ideal is that he has a changed heart. The ideal is that it's a picture of leaving the old man of sin behind and moving forward with the call of God. We also need to have a changed heart. We as believers, and even as believers, when we have the Holy Spirit, we still can choose to sin. But again, in an ideal world, in an ideal situation, is that we ask for more of the Holy Spirit. And I, I keep, I reference the part where Jesus says, ask for anything you receive, God will give you as much as the Holy Spirit as you ask for. And I'm thinking about that in my prayer life. Lord, just continue to fill me with the Holy Spirit. Because why? When I come up and preach, I need the Holy Spirit. It has to be about what the Lord is doing here, not about what I think the Scripture is saying. When I'm in my office and I counsel somebody, I need the Holy Spirit. I have to pray because I want to give them the right answers. I want to help them. I don't want to just give them some of Joe-centered wisdom and they go off and, and ruin a part of their life because of my poor counsel. And certainly when people press my buttons, and it happens, I need more of the Holy Spirit so that I handle it properly. Say it ain't so, but it does happen. Verse 10 says, when they came there to the hill, there was a group 
of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it happened, when all who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets, that the people said to one another, What is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? Then a man from there answered and said, But who is their father? Therefore it became a proverb, Is Saul among the prophets? And when he had finished prophesying, he went to the high place. So he prophesies. Right? He's over there with the prophets. And many who knew him before said, who is this guy? Because why? It was out of character. I think if we read enough about Saul and his, his beginnings, right, and really not even knowing who Samuel was, it was out of character. But again, hopefully that this is a picture of the new life. How many of you, I know it's happened with me, <laughs> gee, I knew you from 20 years ago. You're a pastor? How did that happen? <laughs> it's all God, trust me. But how many of us have maybe run into, and if we, let's say we weren't saved, we haven't made a profession as a little kid, and some of you have been fortunate enough to do that, but let's say the, the rest of us who haven't, uh, how many of you've run into later and they, you're just different? And, and they don't get it. What happened? What changed in your life? Right? So it's a picture of what the new life should be. And hopefully, like Saul, that others, when they see us now, notice a difference in our life. Hopefully they don't see the same thing. Verse 14. Then Saul's uncle said to him and his servant, where did you go? And he said, to look for the donkeys. When we saw that they were nowhere to be found, we went to Samuel. And Saul's uncle said, tell me, please, what Samuel said to you? So Saul said to his uncle, he told us plainly that the donkeys had been found. But about the matter of the kingdom, he did not tell him what Samuel had said. So Saul runs into his uncle, and his uncle asks, hey, where you been? And Saul eventually brings up, I, I ran into Samuel. And of course, the uncle wants to know what Samuel said. Remember years ago, maybe like 20 years ago, the commercial for E.F. Hutton? When E.F. Hutton talks and they have this, everybody's walking in the street in the city and all of a sudden on cue, everybody stops and goes like this, people listen. Well, if you knew anything about spirituality, if you were a, at least somewhat of a spiritual person, maybe Saul's uncle was, when he said Samuel, his ears perked up. What did Samuel say? Oh, well, he told us where to find the donkeys, but about the manner of the kingdom, he didn't go any further. And you know, the truth is, when you are close to God, others will want to know. They will seek that wisdom that you have. Verse 17. Then Samuel called the people together to the Lord at Mizpah and said to the children of Israel, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, I brought up Israel out of Egypt and delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all the kingdoms and from those who oppressed you. But you have today rejected your God who himself saved all of you out of all your adversities and your tribulations. And you have said to him, no, but set a king over us. Now, therefore, present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. And when Samuel had caused all the tribes of Benjamin, or excuse me, of Israel to come near, the tribe of Benjamin was chosen. So he reminds the children of Israel all that God did for them before they get too enamored with the monarchy. Let me just... 
give you a historical perspective. This is what happened. And I guess the question is, how many times have we heard in the Old Testament where a man of God had to remind the children of Israel of all the things that God did for them? Because it's human, it's human tendency to forget. Think about our lives. I mean, is our attitude, are we thankful? Even for something that God did 15 years ago. Or do we have the attitude, what have you done for me lately? So as human beings, a lot of times we need to be reminded of all the wonderful things that God has done for us, and certainly for the children of Israel. They also had to be reminded of their lack of appreciation and their desire to do things their way instead of God's way. And we can certainly make the application for ourselves. When have we, when times get tough, uh, been cranky with God or, or grumbly with God or annoyed with him? It shows a lack of our appreciation. He saved us from hell. That is awesome. And, and listen, even if that's the only thing he did, it was something that we couldn't earn. So I, I can see, and again, I, uh, I hear Christians, you know, oh, the children of Israel, how could they? They saw this, they saw that. Well, how could we? We have the Holy Spirit, right? Also, they wanted a king to deliver them, but it was always God who delivered them in the past. Now, I don't know if this is the case, but... Well, this is the case, but I'm trying, I'm trying to figure out their mindset here. Um, the Lord would say to them, if you follow me, if you shun false gods, if you're repentant, things will go well. The battles will go well. Your crops will grow if you turn your back on me and start following pagan gods. This was serious stuff. Commit spiritual adultery, then things are going to go pretty hard for you. Well, with a king, a king kind of protected the, the nation all the time. And I don't know, maybe they thought that the king would just always be consistent in protecting the borders. But as we'll see as we go forward, when the kings were evil and the kings did wrong and the kings played harlotry, God also punished the kingdom and he punished the nation, which we'll see as we go into the later books. A little bit about Mizpah. It was in Benjamin, and this is where Saul is going to be introduced to the people. And we see this, um, the children of Israel are called, and then the tribes are called, and then the families or the clans are called, and then the individual is called. Maybe they use the Urim and the Thummim. Maybe the priest had something to do with it. But, but in some sense, um, this is the way it, it, it really shook out so that people could see what was going on. Verse 21. When he had caused the tribe of Benjamin to come near by their families, the family of Matri was chosen, and Saul, the son of Kish, was chosen. But when they sought him, he could not be found. Therefore, they inquired of the Lord further, has the man come here yet? And the Lord answered, there he is, hidden among the equipment. It's funny. So they ran and brought him from there, and when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. So this is a humorous account of how, you know, the big, the big time, the big uh, presentation of their new king, and where Saul, Saul, anybody see Saul? They can't find him. They actually have to ask the Lord, where is he? And he goes, he's, over, he's over there hiding the equipment. It was a little humorous there. Did, what was the story, you know, what's going on here in his mind? Was it maybe, uh, this was an eventful day, all the confirmation, didn't he have a changed heart? Was he just nervous? And again, as we go through, I can't say that I know all the answers. He's a hard guy to figure out. Uh, we see many in the Bible who have fears and insecurities, but once God says, listen, you've you got to do it. This is what I've called you to do. Anything further than that is disobedient. We saw this with Moses, and he complained about how he wasn't very eloquent, and God gave him Aaron. 
And Moses eventually ran out of excuses and did what the Lord called him to do. Same thing with Gideon. Gideon was fearful. And he says, you mighty man of valor. But he eventually did what the Lord had called him to do. And, you know, anything less than that is shirking responsibility. I even remember when um, it, it came time for me to be the senior pastor. I kind of hit among the equipment myself. It is a humorous account. And uh, um, I, was, I had all the excuses. I, I can't. Uh, I've never been groomed to be a pastor. I mean, I had all the excuses, um, and, and I don't mind revealing it now. But I, I had nowhere to run. My wife w- wouldn't let me get away with it. My pastor wouldn't let me get away with it. And my mentor and my friends wouldn't let me get away with it. So guess what? Here I am. <laughs> but you know what's really cool? It's really good to have those around you that love you enough to be direct with you, to give it to you straight up, to say, hey, you're shirking your responsibility. God has called you to do this, and you, you need to do it. Um, it would be a shame for us to surround ourselves with a fan club, with people that just like us or tell us what we want to hear. It's so important to have those around us that tell us when we're not being obedient to the Lord. Now, those are true friendships. Verse 24, And Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen, that there is no one like him among all the people? So all the people shouted and said, long live the king. Okay, so now we know where that expression comes from. Maybe. (laughs) So this is an awkward start, um, you know, kind of uncomfortable, awkward, hidden among the equipment, and then they get him to stand up and people look at him and, hey, long live the king, let's go for it. But I wonder, was it based on his appearance? Remember what the Bible says in the beginning about Saul. He was handsome, he was tall, And remember, Saul's name means asked for. I believe that God chose someone that the children of Israel really wanted, right? So they got what they asked for. But, you know, I wonder if some of this had to do with appearance. Remember when little David, right, comes and he's going to fight Goliath and he goes to where the king's equipment and it's just too big. Saul's just a big man. So David can't maneuver in it. So he puts his, his armor and all this shield and stuff aside and just goes out with a slingshot. But Saul, as big as he was and as, as valiant as he looked, he, he wasn't in any hurry to fight Goliath. It took David to do it, right? Um, and, you know, I hate to say it, but we see celebrity Christianity. A lot of modern Christianity is based on appearance. Who has the best websites? Who has the nicest look in church? You know, who has in worship the, the best sound or the best look? You know, why, why don't you see covers with worship people just smiling and, you know, hey, I love life. They have to have the look that the rock stars have. So, um, you know, we see a lot of celebrity, celebrity Christianity, and it, it's kind of dumb. Verse 25, it says, Then Samuel explained to the people the behavior of royalty and wrote it in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, every man to his house. And Saul also went home to Gibeah. And valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. This is interesting to see. There's a book written on royalty. Right? In two, in two different, now this is something new to the children of Israel. The other nations had a king, but they didn't. So there's this book written on, on royalty. Basically, how royalty is supposed to behave and how the people are supposed to behave towards royalty. But like it or not, there's leadership commands a certain type of decorum. Fair or not, being a leader means, you know, putting certain things away. 
Even when we saw the, um, was it Prince Harry and his brother over in England, uh, you know, they got chastised by the royalty because they were doing partying and getting caught. One, one of them was, went to a Halloween party in a Nazi uh, costume and they were chastised by the royalty and said, this is not the way royalty behaves. You guys got to knock it off. You're better than that. You know, you, you should be better than that. So even all the way back then, there was a certain decorum, there was a certain behavior that had to be uh, presented. And this was really new to the children of Israel. Uh, even, again, any leader, uh, we may have to put things away that might stumble the flock. Maybe there's something that I could do that's not sinful, but maybe it could stumble somebody. And even the Apostle Paul says that. I, I won't eat meat anymore if it stumbles anyone. So, you know, we see that here. Um, Remember, the children of Israel were representing God. And the king, as the prophet, as the priest, represented God to a greater degree. Right? Now, even as Christians, and let's, let's bring this back to, to us. There's a certain standard that we should be maintaining, too. Right? When we go to the unsaved world, to those who are uh, our co-workers or um, classmates or whatever the case may be, there is a certain standard that we really should maintain. Right? At the very least. And it says, And valiant men went with him whose hearts God had touched. Now, God did everything possible to make Saul successful. I really believe that in my heart. He gives him, he changes his heart. He, um, he confirms his calling. He uh, brings valiant men alongside of him so he doesn't have to do it on, on his own. All right? every, every possible uh, opportunity to make the king successful. Now, do you realize that everyone here, or there's a small group tonight, every single one of you, God wants you to be successful. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to start going into God wants you to be a millionaire and have uh, everybody drives a Mercedes Benz. I'm not going there. It's not even scriptural. But whatever it is. I mean, even the, the Trenton homeless on Sunday, it was raining, it was bad weather, they went out there. And truthfully, some come to me and say, I'm not even sure what to do. I don't even know what my gifts are. The fact that you're willing to go out in the rain and love others who are less privileged on a, on a day that you could have off, that is amazing. That's a blessing. And God will equip you to do those things. I see the teachers in the children's ministry. My son comes home after being in the children's ministry, and the things he learns are amazing. Like, these teachers are great. So whatever it is that God has called you to do, it doesn't have to be something grandiose. God will equip you to do it. I really believe that. This isn't just for King Saul. It's for all of us, right? Every ministry, too, needs valiant men and women whose hearts God is touching. That's important. And I think that any man or woman of God that the Lord uses for leadership will equip other valiant men and women to come alongside of them and lift their arms, right? No man is an island. We can't do anything on our own. Even Moses needed help. Verse 27, but some rebels said, how can this man save us? So they despised him and brought him no presents, <laughs> but he held his peace. Welcome to leadership. <laughs> the moment you step into leadership, there are some that just like these guys. Now, we can go through this. We can say that uh, Saul was not really a spiritual guy. Uh, he meets Samuel. God speaks to Samuel. He speaks to Saul. He tells Saul about the events that are going to take place. So you, you see this back and forth. So Saul goes through these different um, machinations with these different people, and there's all this confirmation. And then, hey, everything looks good. He's prophesying. He goes home. 
He talks to the uncle. The uncle talks about the donkeys, doesn't mention the coronation. And then, you know, um, he, he's going to, to present them, Samuel, to the children of Israel, and he can't be found. He's hiding. Regardless of all that, regardless of the fact that the children of Israel uh, demanded a king before the time that God wanted that kingdom to start, that monarchy, God empowered this man. He put him in the kingdom. And once that happens, remember, he anointed him. They should have followed through, but they didn't. And, you know, look at politics, right? Whenever a new candidate emerges, if that candidate, whether on the Republican or Democrat side, seems to be full of energy and could be a, a, um, a detriment to the other party, the spin machine starts. You know, they actually hire hitmen, uh, to, political hitmen, to find something in your past to not make you look so good. So as soon as you interject yourself, like I said, President of the United States, you couldn't pay me all the money in the world for that job. I mean, look at Obama. Look at all the new gray hairs he has. It doesn't take long for that job to wear on you. But what about in the church? Happens in the church, too. I've read a lot of horror stories. I've known some men of God who have been, um, had their lives torn up, turned upside down, their families, because of this same thing. Once you step even into ecclesiastical leadership, there will be others. They'll pick apart your every decision. They'll hang upon your every word. They'll think that they can do it better, you know, and, and they're just always out there to gossip and to tear down. Again, I've seen a lot of horror stories. It happens in the church, too, sadly enough. But let's go back to this. God wants us to be successful, and if we are called into any form of leadership, number one, while we're uh, looking for that leadership or while we're being discipled or learning, we need to take it seriously. And then once we're in that leadership, even informal leadership, others look up to us. Right? We need to take it seriously. Because understand the calling is bigger than ourselves. Let's pray.